And now, and now, the best of Pete Price. The best of Pete Price on Radio City 96.7. Once upon a time, I used the word clamp, the clamp clinic, because yeah. it was a word that related. We yeah. put that out all day. But the actual clinic that you go to, once upon a time you could walk in. It ain't like that now, is it? Because it's so busy. Oh, well, there's pluses and cons against that. I mean, our clinics are now appointment only, but you're guaranteed an appointment within 48 hours. Right. And that suits a lot of people. If you turn up at a clinic and it's mad busy and you're queuing outside the door, that's embarrassing and it just makes you even more nervous. But to know you can come in at 2.30 and you'll be seen within a few minutes mm. is great. So I think, I think the system is actually working very well at the moment. Oh, you do? I do. <clears throat> Let's um, um, get rid of one of the early myths. The umbrella. The umbrella test. Yes. <laughs> the famous umbrella test. Well, actually, there was an instrument about 30 or 40 years ago where they used to use to widen up the water passage in, in men who'd had an infection. And it did look like an umbrella, but there's no such thing as that anymore. Let me reassure any young man who's worried about a risk he might have had. If you come to an STD clinic, you will have a urine test for gonorrhea and chlamydia. No more of the nasty swab. It's easy. Let's go through each... Um, thing out there. Uh, first of all, have you found any new ones since uh, HIV? Well, there's some bizarre, there's some bizarre new infection called LGV, lymphogranuloma venerum. We used to think it was a tropical disease, but actually it's becoming quite common amongst gay men, particularly HIV positive gay men. Difficult to treat, difficult to diagnose, but it's, um, it's not all that common, but it's worrying us. And what is it? It's a form of chlamydia. And uh, it causes very deep-seated infection in the glands and causes a very nasty illness. And I say we used to only see it in Africa, and now it's started off in Holland and it's moved to England. There's been about 600 cases in England so far. And this is with people with HIV? It's, it's easier for people with HIV to pick up infections because their immune system is weakened. So this infection has actually first appeared in gay men, but it has moved into non-HIV-positive men also. Um, we'll talk about HIV and AIDS uh, as a separate subject uh, because I want to keep away from that for a bit, only because it's such a big, a big yeah. subject. Let's start with thrush because this seems to be a, a, a problem. Is it in young people? Except I'm, I'm a novice. You yeah. tell me. Yeah, thrush, Pete, it's the heart sink of our clinics. Technically speaking, it's not a sexually transmitted disease at all. It is athlete's foot of the penis. And I, I reassure some really worried young fellas, look, at you've just got athlete's penis. You're going to have to live with this. It's a chronic recurrent condition. It's caused by a fungus and it's very easy to treat, but you can never permanently eradicate it. So, you know, we get people who come in with repeated attacks of thrush in despair saying, oh, doc, I've had the treatment and it doesn't work. The treatment does work, but it has a tendency to come back. And all you need to do is manage it. So what about women? Can they give you thrush? It, that, that's uncommon. Most people have enough thrush bugs on their own skin to develop their own thrush. They don't need to get it from anybody else. So a lot of the time we're trying to diffuse the whole did she give it to me, am I giving it to her scenario because we see lots of people at the clinic where one has chronic thrush and there's nothing wrong with the other. And if some GP inadvertently says to the woman oh you better get him treated because you're getting this thrush all the time then it causes sexual tension in the relationship and she thinks he's giving him something he isn't. It's her own, it's her own thrush and it can be managed with just herself. 
And is it right that if you just put a lot of yogurt on it, it goes? Well, interesting. That's an old wives' tale that has some validity really? in it. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you take antibiotics, you disturb your your gut and you also disturb the vaginal flora. And um, bacteria that you find in live yogurt are the kind of healthy bacteria that you'd expect and hope to find in the vagina. So putting live yogurt into the vagina actually is 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 useful. So thrush is not a sexually transmitted disease? No, it is not. You can get thrush if you've never had sex in your life. Because you can have it within yourself? You have it on your own skin. The friction of intercourse or masturbation can trigger it, but you don't have to pick it up from somebody else. Yeah. Um, so, because I want to break all these myths. Oh! Lubrication is one of the keys to managing thrush. Now, <laughs> He gave, I've got to tell you, he gave me some lubrication once, which is the most amazing lubrication I've ever... I didn't experience it, but when you put it on your hand, the jar slipped at me. <laughs> you can't drive home after after putting... Uh, <laughs> the steering wheel will be all so, over the shelf. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've got to laugh about these things. Yeah. Where does lubrication come into thrush, then? Well, basically, it's the friction of intercourse or masturbation that triggers thrush. So if the lubrication is superb, that's a very... That's one of the treatments we use when people who keep getting thrush. We say you must increase the lubrication during sex. And we give them either a silicone-based lubricant or a water-based one. Right, we're going to take... Um a call straight away because oh, this might encourage you want to put a set of headphones on uh, this might encourage people to ring in because I really do want them to uh, to ring in over this one hello Ian hello Pete how's things uh, thank you you want to speak to Con yeah uh, in a relationship with a girl but um, suspicions that he's uh, bi bisexual yeah yeah and uh, she has also used drugs in the time uh, when I question her, she's uh, very defensive with me, and uh, she 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 won't answer any questions that I ask her about uh, having used drugs in the past. Uh, the, uh, the, my girlfriend does, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I've never I've never used anything, no. Well, but Basically, obviously, if somebody was using intravenous drugs, I'd be worried because, you know, there's a big risk of them picking up hepatitis B, C, HIV. Um, smoking stuff, well, you're not going to get any infections from that, but obviously it can have some psychological issues. But if a girl is bisexual, I mean, a lot of girls go through teenage years feeling a bit bisexual and then they, they settle into one or the other. So um, if you're having a happy relationship with this girl and sex is fine, do you really need to pursue this any further? Uh, but but the thing is, uh, um, she's uh, it, it's hard to say because because uh, she she's mixing with other girls. You see, and there's uh, uh, you know she's uh, she's with a girlfriend uh, now at the moment, and uh, and and sees me at the weekend. Yeah. Um, but but when I'm not there, um, she's into all all different stuff, and well, what what can I do? Well, as I say, you don't know for certain that the relationship she has with this other girl is a sexual one. I mean, lots of girls have really good close friends that they like to spend time with. And, uh, you know, obviously have a chat and discuss it. I mean, and if it does turn out that she's bisexual, um, you know, what would that actually mean to you? Uh, not so much the, uh, the bisexuality, but the, the fact that there's uh, intravenous drugs and oral drugs taken on uh, between the two girls. Well, any intravenous drug use is big time dangerous. You'd have to sort that out. 
And so, so suppose what uh, one girl is taking intravenous, and uh, um, is the other girl who's smoking? Is she at risk from one or the other? It's it's quite unusual for sexually transmitted infections to pass between girls in a re, in a lesbian relationship, um, but obviously it can happen. And if if one of them is hepatitis B, C, or HIV positive, yeah, you'd have to say there is a slight risk there. Not as much as in heterosexual sex, but basically, why don't both of you just decide to go along to a clinic and get a checkup? You can both have a urine test for gonorrhea and chlamydia and a blood test for syphilis, Hep B, and HIV. Because every time I raised a question and every time I tried to probe, basically I get told, uh, there you go again, suspicious, yeah, why are you asking questions, there's the dog, get out if you don't like it. Ian, I'm afraid I would get out if you don't like it because if she can't be questioned and your life is at risk, because that's what we're talking about, aren't we, Con? Yeah, well, it's, it's not a great relationship if the couple can't be open with each other. Well, you know what, I, I try to be as open as I can and I try to question and I try to point out things. But the, the thing is, uh, I, the, the other girl, she gets so defensive when I question and then the thing is, the two girls are ganging up on me then. Mm. Ian, I'm going to leave it there. If it was me, I would get rid without any shadow of a doubt because we're not talking about just fun and games these days. We're talking about your own life at risk because we are talking about that with diseases these days, aren't we? Yeah, and if you're in a relationship, you want it to be exclusive, just you and her and nobody else involved. Yeah. Let's speak to Malcolm. Hello, Malcolm. <coughs> Hello, yeah. Sorry, sorry to tell you. Right. Um, all it was, basically, I, um, I do have actual pains in the end of my um, doodah day, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. I was just wondering, is there anything to do with any um, diseases or anything? Well, in general, um, obviously sexually transmitted infections usually show themselves as a discharge or an ulcer or a rash. Now, uh, But the genital area is incredibly sensitive and we often get people who complain of vague discomfort and pain in the testicles or pain at the tip of the penis. And really, um, there's no sexually transmitted infection will do that. Very rarely, some prostate problems can give you pain at the tip of the penis. So depending on what age you are, it might be worth getting that checked out. Right. Well, funny you should say that because I did have some um, surgery done once and uh, it did actually affect my prostate. Uh, so that could be some, some of the symptoms with regards to that happening to me, could it? Sure, yeah. If you have prostate problems and they do operations around the prostate, they can damage some of the nerves around there that can actually cause pain somewhere else. It's like when you bang your elbow off the edge of a table or a chair, you get pins and needles in your fingers. If you damage some of the nerves around the prostate, you can get tingling at the tip of the penis. Right, OK. Thank you very much. For nothing, nothing uh, Malcolm, that's what we're here for. Hello, James, you're through to column. Hi. Well, there's is, um, what is it now when you get discharged? Oh, to put bluntly, you know, when, he, when fellas say cream... No cheese yeah, on your foreskin. Okay, now there's a difference between discharge and cheesy stuff on your foreskin. Um, when we say the word discharge, we mean yellow stuff coming out of the tip of the penis, where the pee comes out. Yeah, no, not yeah. that. Well, the other cheesy stuff on the foreskin, I'm afraid another good name for that is smegma, which you know gives you an idea of how bad it smells. This is stuff that builds up under the foreskin unless you wash it away every day. And if you don't, and some men even need to pull back the foreskin and wash this stuff out twice a day, not just once. Yeah. Because if you allow this stuff to build up, it'll smell and it'll go cheesy, and you're increasing your risk of thrush. 
So what is it, just natural type of thing? It's natural type of thing. It's oils and dead cells that builds up under the foreskin. It's no harm as long as it's washed away. Right, daily. Well, and then some guys twice a day. And then some guys don't need to wash for two or three days. Everybody's different. Can you get anything for it to treat it? No, you can get soap and water. Is that it? That's it. Warm water, if possible. Yeah. <laughs> James, thank you for that. I've got to tell you, that's the first time I've cringed like that for years. Oh, my word. Now, you see, that's something I even I wouldn't have asked. But that's interesting. I, I did not realise that that is just... Somebody makes that. That's it's just right. part of their body. Pete, if you can bring yourself to look at my website. Oh, I wouldn't look at your website. I'd never look at your website in a million years. You soft thing. I wouldn't. You showed me a crab, a walking crab. I will never, as long as I live, it was like seeing a horror movie. He's still alive on the website if anyone wants to click on under pubic lice. It's incredible. It's incredible. This crab is actually... Tell him about the website. If you dare go on to his website, tell him about the website. Well, it's called Chester Sexual Health. And I put it together about 10 years ago. I used to do a programme for the BBC called Sex Warts and All, and then I did questions. And then, would you believe it, the Daily Mail complained that the BBC were, uh, were pushing soft pornography. My site was accused of being soft pornography. So I took all the stuff and I set it up. It's Chester Sexual Health. .co.uk and if you click on the infection section you can go down through them all and the pubic lice is a very nice one there's a really there's a live crab in there there's another section called molluscum and uh, I, it shows you how I scrape these things off a nice little surgical piece you see you always kill the conversation like that let's take a call hello John hello mate you alright yep you're through to come yeah hey, what it is I, I used to get a problem called NSU yeah uh, I was just inquiring about it. What? Well, John, that's one of the most awkward things you could ask me about because the very name NSU, it means non-specific non urethritis. And when doctors call something non-specific, that tells you we haven't a clue what's causing it. Now, luckily, the tests for chlamydia have come on a lot and most of NSU is caused by chlamydia. But there's still about 20-30% of of this urethritis or inflammation for which we yeah. don't know the cause. Now, sometimes it can be an infection and sometimes it can be an allergic reaction. Yeah, because it, it used to reoccur a few times and all exactly. that, you know what I mean? So, yeah, and I'd, and, uh, I'd have guys who'd have antibiotics treatment and the NSU would seem to go and then they'd come back about two or three months later not having had sex with anybody and still... And the, still and, come back. Yeah, still I've had the same back. problem. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Now, luckily, John... This, that kind of NSU gradually wears itself out and stops happening. Yeah. I, I hope that's what happened with you. Yeah, but uh, well, uh, then I've got, like, my girlfriend had a baby and, I got, like, and I must have got thrush off it. Uh, and what's name like, and now I get sometimes fungal infections in my groin area. What? It's, it's like red rashes and they said it, it's like some like ringworm or something like that. Yeah, sort. Or, a, a common term we'd use for that is jock itch. Have you heard that term? No. Jock itch. Well, it's rugby players swapping jock straps and all that stuff. Yeah. You, know, you get a rash in the groin. Something like, yeah, but it's like, but it's like gone up, like, like it used to go up by, like, by my ribs and all that sort of thing, like little round circles and yeah. like a red rash and all that. So is that the same thing? It's exactly the same. It's a type of fungus called a dermatophyte, and it causes this rash in the groin. It often starts yeah. off there and then can travel around the body. And it's very easy to treat if you catch yeah, it. Yeah, something hard, hard to cortisone or something. 
Well, the, um, the hydrocortisone will dampen the rash, but it won't cure it. You need a fung an antifungal drug. So, if, for example, something like Caniston, which you can go into any chemist shop and buy. Yeah. You can put that on that. You can also buy Caniston HC, which has the steroid in it. But you don't really need the steroid. The steroid just takes away the itch and makes it look better. But you, yeah, really, yeah. you really need the antifungal treatment. But... John, that is not an infection you pick up from somebody. These funguses are on everybody's skin and it's just the look of the draw. It's like athletes. That's not what it is, yeah. I just didn't know if it was like I was passing it to my girlfriend or what, you know what I mean? And no. Stuff like that. And she's been, they said there was nothing wrong with her. Like. Absolutely great. No, th this is just... It, some fungus is like some people's skin. You know the way some guys keep getting athletes' foot? And then yeah, yeah, yeah. Both, then yeah. other guys don't. All right, John. Thank you very much for that. Alan, you're through to the doctor. Hi, Pete. Hi, yeah. Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask a question. Is um, warts or, like, are they the same lookness like freckles? Same lookness. Does a wart look like a freckle? Uh, no. A wart will always stick up out of the skin. It will not be flat. You know the way sometimes you're like, because I've got a freckle on my back and it's like, it's raised. Yeah. Now, I know I used to like, go on the sunbeds or I used to go on all the time and I used to go completely naked. Yeah, and like I say, they started to become some spots, like I say, but there's only like one of them which is raised now. I'm okay. too sure of what they were like. Okay, well, Alan, um, anything that's raised is more likely to be a wart than a freckle. For example, the thing you're describing in your back is probably a seborrheic wart, which is the kind of wart you get in the non-genital area, and um, it's it, really, really. Um, First of all, have a look at my website. There's pictures of normal variations in there in the normal section. And then go to something called the wart gallery. And there's every picture of every wart in all shapes and sizes you can see there. And it might give you an idea of what you're actually dealing with. It's a big subject. It's a huge subject. It's incredibly common. In England and Wales, there's 150,000 new cases of genital warts every year. In my clinic in Chester, we treat 800 new cases of warts every year. It's a scourge. It's a scourge. It's a virus that's very easily passed around. You don't even need to have sex to pick it up. Even something called heavy petting. Um, does that ring any bells with Jalen? Heavy petting? No, I've not heard of it. <laughs> well, it's probably an old Irish term. He's a young guy. How old are you, Alan? 27. Heavy, heavy petting is when you're doing everything but doing but do it. it yeah. Heavy petting. He's gone back a thousand years. Yeah, I used to have to go to confession, Alan, and <laughs> tell the priest, bless me, Father, I had heavy petting. Uh, it's basically, you know, as, as Pete said, everything but sex. So even just skin to skin is enough to transmit loads of these HPV or, or her, the papillomaviruses. And then only 1% of people who actually get infected with the virus will actually produce a wart. The other 99% of people have got the virus in the skin, but no wart has ever developed. So, and could I pass to my partner, sorry? Well, if you actually have a wart um, in the genital area and you, you, you have sexual activity with your partner, there's a risk of passing that on. But then again, she might already have had these types and she might be immune to them. So we see lots of couples where one of them has obvious genital warts, they've been together two or three years, and the other person has nothing. And how do you treat it? Okay, you physically destroy the wart you can see with a freezing gun is the, is the commonest treatment. And then we use a chemical called Aldara, which creates an immune gradient so that your own immune system comes in and clears up the wart. Right. And Alan, if it's any consolation, I've just had one on my nose, a wart, and I've just had the freezing gun, and it's fantastic. It just, you don't feel a thing, it's very, very cold, and then it 
dries over like a scab and disappears. Well, Pete, I'd have to say, freezing a lump on the penis, you do feel it. Oh, right. Sorry. Especially when it's defrosting 10 minutes later. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, sorry about that, Alan. Wait, write that out. But, but it's, Alan, it's not that bad. We treat hundreds of these cases all the time. But he's got to do it, hasn't he? He's got to get sorted. Well, if you've got something appearing down there and you haven't seen it before, you need to go along to a clinic. We're very easy to see. Right, thanks very much. All right, Alan. Okay. Uh, right, uh, lad here's uh, rung in, doesn't want to give his name. He had sex uh, with a girl three weeks ago. The condom split. Now, when he goes to the toilet, he feels like glass uh, when he's passing water and he's got red spots on the end of his penis. A few alarms bell ring in there. I mean, if when you go for a pee, it stings like mad, you've probably got inflammation in the water passage. And the commonest cause of that for a young man is chlamydia. So you really need to go along. First catch urine test at the clinic. <coughs> Any clinic you phone in the Northwest will give you an appointment within 48 hours. That's, that's the target. We all have to do that. So don't be f mulling about it anymore. Go and get yourself checked. Dave wants to know about uh, erections. He is having problems with an erection. The more he worries about it, the more it's not getting erect. That's the pattern. There's something uh, we, we describe, Pete, and it's, um, what's the difference between fear and panic? Well, fear is the first time you can't do it the second time. And panic is the second time you can't do it the first time. So... That's what happens. If, if erections start to fail a bit, the guy starts thinking each time he has sex, is this going to work? Instead of thinking, I'm going yeah. to have sex, it's going to be fun. His mind is taken over by worrying, is it going to work or not? And that's terrible. And basically, um, a couple of successful episodes will help sort that out. Now, you know, if he has an understanding girlfriend, they can just go away for the weekend and <coughs> take the pressure off and it can resolve itself. In some cases, I would prescribe something like Viagra, Cialis or Levitra just to give the guy a couple of weeks of, um, of guaranteed success. And then the self-esteem and confidence is back and uh, away you go. Now, Viagra, you just mentioned that. Uh, John wants to know about Viagra. I presume it's changed enormously uh, since when it started, or has it, or the same tablets? Oh, no, the drugs are exactly the same. And there's, I say there's three different types of these drugs, and they all work pretty much the same, and they're all extremely effective. Um, obviously, if there's severe nerve or blood vessel damage, they can't work. But for psychological erections or for mild problems, these drugs are brilliant. They have completely transformed uh, the management of, of erectile dysfunction. Do they give headaches? Yes, but the, the body gets used to them. So often in the early weeks when a guy is using any of these drugs, they do get um, a bit of a headache, but that seems to fade as time goes by. So it's be never an issue. Can you be addicted to the tablets? No, but you... you in a way, you could you could feel you, you, that you depend on them and you'd be afraid to have sex right. without having taken one beforehand. And that's wrong. That's not a good idea. <clears throat> so most of the people I deal with are in a perfectly stable long-term relationship. And, you know, I can talk to them as a couple and they understand that this is just a pharmacological crutch for a while yeah. and they may not need it in future. You mentioned before, and I, I forgot to go back to it, the government have got a new tablet out. Was that for the... Not for the warts, was it? What was that for? You said there's, there's a new, there's a vaccine for for HPV. Now, explain what H. Yeah, uh, again for people who are just HPV in. is human papillomavirus, and it causes genital warts, and other types can cause cervical cancer. 
and uh, fantastically a vaccine was developed about 15 years ago in, in Australia for these HPVs and two companies produce vaccines one is GSK and they produce a vaccine that contains 16 and 18 type of HPV and the other company is Sanofi Pasteur and it contains 611, 16 and 18 and 611 cause genital warts. So us in sexual health were thrilled because we thought, here's a vaccine. Our job is suddenly going to become phenomenally easier. But unfortunately, the Department of Health three years ago chose Cervarex as the national programme vaccine. And it only does 16 and 18. And we were absolutely devastated when, when we heard this because... Genital warts are such a huge financial and emotional and psychological problem and it could we could have eradicated genital warts from the United Kingdom within five to ten years. Did they not think to ask people to know what they're talking about? Well, we think they didn't ask the right people and they didn't ask properly enough. They didn't look at the proper financial implications. For example, in Australia, they vaccinated all 12 to 26-year-old girls in a three-year programme and within a year of the programme, they had a 50% reduction in genital warts in young women. Absolutely massive um, financial and psychological saving. Every other developed country in the world, except Holland, uh, chose Gardasil as the national vaccine. The United Kingdom is the only developed country, apart from Holland, to have chosen this vaccine as the national programme. And we have railed against this decision. I was going to say, has anybody challenged them? Yeah, well, the contracts are up for renewal again next year and we are desperately hoping they'll go for the quadrivalent or the Gardasil vaccine next time. I would love to be out of a job. I would love to do one clinic before I retire and say, God, look at that. I haven't seen a genital wart all day. Uh, Dave wants to know, uh, can you help him with a problem? He's saying that... He has an erection, he masturbates, um, he reaches a climax, but nothing comes out. Now, that's common. Uh, it's an interesting question because as men get older, the amount of, of stuff that comes out when they ejaculate gets less and less. Mm -hmm. And there will come a time when a man can have a completely normal orgasm feeling, but actually nothing comes out. Now, that's more likely as you get older, but it does happen to younger men as well, too. But some of the times they don't know because the penis is in a condom or it's in the vagina. But when you're masturbating, you can see actually how much comes out. So I'm afraid over the age of 50, it generally doesn't spurt out anymore. It just trickles out and there's not as much of it. But that has absolutely no effect on the enjoyment of the event. And so he shouldn't be focused on it or pay any attention. It's fine. And there's no mess. And there's no mess. <laughs> Uh, this is an interesting question. Uh, just gentleman doesn't want to come on there. He wants to know what treatment he can have for an itchy anus. Uh, he doesn't know why it uh, is causing that. Now, I'll ask, is that, does that happen when you get older as well? No. The, the condition he's referring to is called puritis ani, and it's incredibly common. And about 50% of the time, there's no known reason for it happening. Right. And it can just kick off out of the blue. And the best you can do when there's no known reason is to just use a mild local anaesthetic to get rid of the sensation. And then hopefully it'll disappear in its own time. Mm. But often when I examine um, people who complain of having itchiness around there, they've got something called seborrheic eczema. And you see a bit of a rash and you can put on a steroid cream and it'll cure it. So he, he shouldn't be embarrassed. Believe me, GPs are pretty good around the back area and they'd be well familiar with this. It's a million gags there. Man, it's a million gags in this programme. Mm. So GPs... Mm. Are, oh no, stop mm. it, Peter. Mm. And I behave myself all night. I behave myself. Right, HIV. Explain where we're up to these days with it because 
What bothers me is they've found drugs that can give you and prolong your life, but has that sent, in a way, the wrong signals out, people thinking it's being cured? Or have I got that wrong? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the drugs haven't sent out the wrong message. Our problem is um, HIV is not only still there, but it's increasing exponentially. But the publicity has disappeared. Our beef is the fact that there's been radio silence for the last 20 years. You remember the Falling Tombstones oh, campaign? Yes. Every household in England got a letter through. Even my parents were talking about anal sex. I mean, it was just unbelievable. The whole country knew about HIV. And there's been nothing since then. And obviously, you had high-profile celebrities dying of HIV, so they're in the news. But not many people die from it anymore because the drugs are so good. So the publicity's gone. The disease is still there. It's as, it's as dreadful as ever. The drugs we use can actually give somebody a normal lifespan. It can put them back to f almost full health only if it's diagnosed early. So th Very expensive drugs. Well, um, no, actually, it's about seven to eight thousand pounds a year for the drugs. Um, if a guy's diagnosed early. So that's not outrageously expensive. They're back at work, the pain tax, and it's okay. But notice the, the, the clip you played at the very beginning of the programme, they were emphasising that a quarter of people who are HIV positive in England don't know it. That's because HIV testing is not happening. And if you're diagnosed late, well, then you're in big trouble and the drugs don't work as well. So early diagnosis, yes, it's a devastating diagnosis to receive. But if you get the drugs at that point, you can have a normal lifespan and you're less likely to pass it on to anybody else. Straightforward question. To, uh, uh, just to remind people, what is HIV? It's the human immunodeficiency virus and it infects the body and then it gets into your immune system and it kills off lots of your immune cells, particularly cells called T4. So when somebody's diagnosed HIV positive, we measure their T4 count and if it goes below 500, they've got a problem. So it, it then makes the individual susceptible to various infections and in the old days all my patients died. I mean I remember when I was first in Chester in 1990, from 90 to 95 virtually all my HIV positive patients died. We've only had about three deaths since then. Same in Liverpool. So the drugs are effective if someone's diagnosed early. And it's just such a tragedy that the most of the barrier to diagnosing, I think, is medically related. GPs are afraid to bring up the topic of HIV testing because they think patients will be cross or outraged. And in fact, surveys we've done have shown that patients don't mind being tested for HIV at all. And I tell junior doctors, look, if you've got somebody who's got a strange illness, they're not well, they've got fevers, you have to tell them, look, I'm going to test you for a whole range of things. Hepatitis A, B, C, syphilis, CMV, toxoplasma, HIV, Epstein-Barr virus, is that okay? And most patients will say, yes. And that's HIV pre-test counselling done and dusted, do the test. Okay, it won't often be positive, but when it is, you've, you've, you've done a massive thing for that individual. So what is the difference between HIV and AIDS? Well, AIDS was a term we used in the old days because the testing methods weren't all that good. So if somebody is HIV positive and they get a very serious HIV-related <laughs> illness, we call that AIDS. It's really end-stage HIV. But Pete, just, just let me tell you a case that still saddens me. Um, I mean... Uh, our, one of our most recent cases, a young girl, she's only 25 years old. And three months ago, she went to her GP with, with feeling tired. And GP did a blood test and it was low white cell count. 
And the GP sent a letter to the hospital hematologist saying, I've got this girl with low white cell count. What test should I do? And the hematologist wrote back with a whole list of tests, including HIV. And the GP was a bit taken aback. You know, she's only 25. You know, she's a local girl. But he did the test and she's HIV positive. Basically, a few years ago, she was going out with a guy from Uganda. Now, anyone who has sex with anybody from Southern Africa um, without knowing about HIV is taking a risk. Um, in Southern Africa, in some countries there, the risk of HIV is about one in five. Adults, one in five adults are HIV positive. So, you know, going to Africa and have sex or having sex with people from Africa who've, who've recently arrived and they don't know their HIV status is high risk. Thailand as well would be a big issue. But even Dublin, I mean, there's a big HIV problem in Dublin that's heterosexual because many of the drug addicts are HIV positive in Dublin. So, you know, all big cities, uh, people should have a HIV test on a regular basis unless they're in a perfectly stable relationship. Interesting, you say heterosexual, so yeah. it's not a gay disease. Oh, that's the point that was made in that clip you showed. You don't have to go to Africa anymore to pick it up, basically. There's enough HIV in the United Kingdom for it to be passed around. At the moment, we're diagnosing the same number of heterosexual HIVs as gay men. So it's 50-50 now. And in Africa, it's out of control. In my opinion, it's way out of control. And the drugs are only, only you know, sticking plaster. There's a whole attitude change that needs to happen in Africa. Women need to have status. They need to be able to defend themselves. And there's no sign of that happening. So the drugs are not the solution for Africa. It's meltdown. So it didn't come from the monkey and it wasn't a gay disease and it's all that stupid story that went out over the years. Yeah, Still, that, that, you know. that was a problem. We know for a fact that um, there's a condition in monkeys that's called simian AIDS, simian HIV. And monkeys and animals carry diseases that are very similar to humans. So there is a risk that a disease can pass from animals to humans. And this happens with brucellosis, for example, and bovine TB. So we know from the past. And yes, monkeys would have been biting humans for centuries. And eventually one of these bites transmitted a mutated form of monkey HIV to a human. And that had been trundling along in Africa for probably 60 or 70 years. But it was only when wars broke out and populations moved around that the virus got a chance to spread outside these tiny communities. And then it gradually spread around the world. So it's a virus that has transferred from, um, from monkeys into the human population. So it has come from monkeys? Absolutely, definitely. Oh, wow, 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 wow. I've got a friend who's got a cat who's HIV, has got AIDS. There's feline AIDS. It's a different virus. Right. I'd, it's a pity they use that term. Oh, it, well, it is, because I, I couldn't believe it when she said that cat's got AIDS. <laughs> yeah. Well, I threw it on the floor. <laughs> I, only after, I picked it up and said sorry to it afterwards, but Poor I was cat, a, a little no. bit shocked. That Thank virus you. does not transmit to humans. Thank you very much. Uh, Tony says, what happens to sex uh, when you have the snip? Uh, is sex still the same? Uh, does everything work the same? And do you, or do you lose your libido? No, no, no. The snip is completely safe and perfect. And for many men, it's a huge release because it gets rid of the fear of pregnancy. There should be absolutely no ill effects whatsoever on sexual activity. And even the amount of stuff that comes out when you orgasm or ejaculate should be virtually the same because the snip only stops the sperm coming through. It doesn't stop all the other liquids and fluids that make up the bulk of the, of the semen or the ejaculate. So um, we think the snip is great. Men shouldn't be worried about it. Complications are incredibly rare. 
Ben, it's interesting this. Ben says he says that he has to masturbate every day or else he finds he can't control his bladder. Uh, what can be wrong with him? Now that's a... Uh that's uh, unusual. I haven't heard that before. I mean, there's nothing wrong with masturbating every day, but I can't. Too right, there's nothing. <laughs> but I can't. I can't see how that would influence um, uh, what goes on in the bladder because they're two separate systems. Uh, can't understand that one. Can Phil, Philip says? Can mosquitoes transmit AIDS? No, absolutely not. Hundred percent not. Because if that was the case, everybody in Africa would be HIV positive. Instead, it's just the sexually active population that are HIV positive. Mosquitoes, no. Right. Cuts. How has that affected you? Well, obviously, sexual health services have been lucky in the past by having separate funding, and and that has sort of seen us through the bad times. So we do worry about the changes that are happening yet again, particularly the government saying they're going to get GPs to commission everything, because we think some GPs might think, well, sexual health, that's a piece of cake. We could make a bit of money out of that. Why don't we start doing it and dismantle the STD services? To be honest, I can't really see that happening, but it is a fear. Uh, funny if we were talking about this before, uh, Don wants to know, his wife is offended because he looks at porn, but he only does it for titillation. Well, th 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 this is a historical thing. W women have always been less keen on porn than men. I mean, men need sexual fantasy to keep their sex lives alive. Uh, alive. I mean, when will oogle and look at women and think sex? Um, women think differently. So it's not surprising that men like looking at porn. Obviously, and I think it's not a problem unless somebody's obsessed with it and on the websites and looking up stuff, you know, day in, day out. Um, if a couple are happy to look at a, at a sensibly done porn film occasionally, I think it can actually enhance their sex life. And you only have to look at some of the really good websites where they do sell DVDs of normal yeah. sexual activity, nothing weird going on. And, you know, that can be useful. And it's a pity if it becomes an issue between a couple. Uh, it's It would be nice if she was happy to to, you know, just look at some of the stuff he's looking at and see that it's not that outrageous. It, uh, it'd be a shame if it, if it comes, if it causes a problem in the relationship. Now, um, do, uh, do, do women have bigger sex drives than men? Is it, is it, or is both the same? Is everybody different? No, generally men are driven to seek out sexual activity. Um, women are not driven in the same fashion. They more or less accept it and like it happening, but they don't actually go looking for it as, as often as men do. And it's just an animal thing. So it, it is true that men are, are generally, generally much more interested in sex than women. We don't seem to hear the word gonorrhea and syphilis these days like we used to. Is there a reason for that or is it just that it's not fashionable or is it just there? Well, d d gonorrhea hasn't decreased at all in the last um, 10 or 15 years. In fact, all sexually transmitted infections have increased significantly. Syphilis in the United Kingdom has gone up 300%. It's just staggering. I mean, we syphilis almost disappeared off the planet. It was a medieval disease, but it's back with a vengeance. Um, luckily, it's still easily treated with a single shot of penicillin. So what is syphilis? Syphilis, it's a, it's a very delicate bacteria that is only transmitted sexually, and it causes an ulcer in the genital area, and then a few weeks later causes a rash all over the body. And if untreated, can cause brain damage and blood vessel damage. So it's a very serious disease. Luckily, the blood tests for it are brilliant. And if you go to any sexual clinic, part of a full screen is a blood test for syphilis, hep B, HIV. We diagnose about 50 cases a year in Chester. 
Gonorrhea? Gonorrhea, we diagnose about 100 a year. In the Royal Liverpool here, they're diagnosing about six, uh, 600 a year. Wow. Again, still easily treated with a single shot of the drug called Keftraxone. So what is gonorrhea? It's a thick yellow discharge that comes out of the tip of the penis. So most, virtually 99% of blokes who get gonorrhea know it within days and they come running to the thing because the pain is ferocious. So it's not like chlamydia, which can be subtle and hide for years. Gonorrhea, within five or six days, you get a painful discharge. So it brings them along very quickly. Where do you stand with prostitution? Do they have their own treatment or do they come to you? Or is there something set up for well, interestingly, girls in, and fellas? In the Northwest, um, prostitution is, is generally uh, well managed by the women. For example, we would get women who come in for regular screening and they're, they are prostitutes, they, they're self-employed, they often have a flat, they often have a a clientele of, say, 50 or 60 men that they see on a regular basis. And they virtually never get any sexually transmitted infections. So it's street prostitution is a bit worse, especially if there's any hint of um, trafficking, because these women aren't screened, they can't speak English, they're kept sheltered, they don't get any care. But in general, um, uh, the, the official sort of uh, prostitution seems to be safe enough because the women do get screened. And, you know, every society has it. I don't have any uh, stance one way or the other. Um, Natalie says, Peter, when I have a period, it tends to be quite smelly. Uh, Is this a sign of STD? No. Um, Obviously, uh, when girls have a period, there's there's blood and other bacteria and you can get various chemicals that can produce smells. Once the period's gone, everything should be back to normal. Don't, Don't worry about that. I wonder, as chlamydia has, a no, has, has no symptoms, if it's not treated, what can happen to a person long-term, says Tina? Well, women, for example, can carry chlamydia on the neck of the womb or the cervix for months and possibly even years. And as long as it's on the cervix and doing nothing, it's not doing any harm. But if it goes up into the womb and into the tubes, then it can cause kinking and buckling and it can cause ferocious pain and obviously there's a risk of ectopic pregnancy for the future. Now luckily that only happens probably about one in a couple of hundred cases. And obviously if a girl has chlamydia and she has a coil put in, well then the coil could drag that up into the uterus and kick it off. If she has chlamydia and she's a termination, that could kick it off as well. So that's why chlamydia screening is always done before putting in coils and it should be done before termination. You still can enjoy sex, can't you? Absolutely. We've painted a terrible no, but we've painted yeah, a yeah. terrible picture. I will do without for at least an hour because of the picture. No, joking apart. Yeah. We we've painted a, a terrible picture, yeah. but you can have sex. No, well, our job in the clinics is is to is to get people back to having a normal, fit, healthy sex life. Sex is a wonderful cement in a relationship, and you know it's sad if um, if relationships end up being emotionless and soulless and sexless. So we we in the specialty think sex is a wonderful part of a long-lasting relationship. And, uh, you know, we do our best to make sure it works properly. We can treat virtually every sexual infection people have. And when the sexual difficulties like erections or failure of orgasm, you know, there's a lot we can do to help. And we actually help people to help themselves. Simple as that. Simple as that. Now, what about the message to young people? Because we've got a huge, huge listenership of young people who are experimenting with sex. They're enjoying sex. We're getting more and more underage girls 
pregnant, so everybody evidently is, an awful lot of them are having sex. Yeah, the North West is a terrible um, uh, figures for teenage pregnancy, and, and I think teenage pregnancy is not a great idea. I think, I think you know, single mums at a very young age have real difficulty, and they end up being unable to get employment, and then their kids often end up in the same thing. So in general, it's not a good idea to get pregnant as a teenager. And unfortunately, I think the sex and relationship education in schools is not good enough, and, and that's the key. I don't think parents can really do it. I think it has to be the schools. There's loads of wonderful contraceptive methods out there, but a lot of young teenage sex is still unprotected and very risky. Condoms work. Kids know how to, how to be able to negotiate them into a relationship. And kids also need to know and have the self-esteem to say, look, I'm not ready for sex yet. Now, it might seem old-fashioned, but actually, for a lot of teenagers, when you interview them again in their early 20s, they really regret the sex they had in their teens. And they think it wasn't happy, it wasn't a good idea, and they felt peer pressured into doing it. So I think teenagers really need to think, if you don't feel you're ready for sex, have the self-esteem to say that. Now, am I right about this? Right, uh, my daughter's all right, I've put her on the pill. But surely that's only half the problem. It's, it's only half the battle. It'll stop her getting pregnant if she remembers to take it diligently. Um, the other issue is, you know, what about sexually transmitted infections? And there's so much chlamydia and genital warts out there that even if a kid is on the pill, they really should use condoms as well. And what about the after-morning tablet? Do you think that's a good or bad thing? Morning-after pill is, is, is very effective. And I noticed just um, this week, or from the 1st of April, in Wales, um, young people can go into any chemist shop and be given the pill free, whereas in most of the United Kingdom it costs about £26. Um, it's very effective, but it must really be taken within the first 24 hours. The effectiveness drops off rapidly after 24 hours, so really it needs to be very easily accessible. What's your website? It's chestersexualhealth.co.uk And there are two booklets on this table, <laughs> which I, first time I've never picked a booklet up in my life. Pete won't look what at them, yeah. wart? <laughs> What wart? What wart? Where can they get one of these well, booklets? Well, actually, the whole book is, is on the website, in, in the wart right, section. Right. If you go into the wart section and read down through it, it, there's a section there, if you click on this, and I've just looked at it tonight before I came out to the, do the programme, and the whole book is there. And the first section of the book has a whole lot of pictures of normal variations. And then the next section are pictures of genital warts and how we treat them. So it's highly educational. Um, does the crab have a name? <laughs> no, I never thought of, of, of naming him. <laughs> no. So we haven't got a name for the crab. should have a competition. Name, cons, <laughs> crab. Um, um, people, uh, to finish off, mustn't be frightened to go and get checked out, must they? No. I'm telling you, in the United Kingdom, every clinic is obliged to offer an appointment within 48 hours. Now, that is a big advance and, uh, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of. The clinics are confidential, they're discreet. As Pete said, the umbrella test is a thing of the past. Even for men now, it's just a urine sample and a blood test for a full STD screen. And once again, what, what is out there? HIV? Well, I'm afraid there's um, HIV, hepatitis, B and C, syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia. Trichomonas. And what's the new one? LGV. <laughs> Amazing. Column.
you never cease to amaze me coming into this program. I, I, you're a very, very busy man. Um, uh, you have a, a great following uh, and you're respected so much within the medical profession. Okay, Pete, it's been a pleasure to be here. Good night. The best of Pete Price on Radio City 96.7.